Manscaped presents Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Also brought to you by our partners at Foundation Physiotherapy, Ballistic Sports, and Georgetown Honda. This week, we talk with a former Blue Jay whose life was irrevocably changed by a cartoon. You know, what's amazing is that whenever um, I would do something at home well, they would play March saying, oh, Homer. And so, <laughs> but when I went on the road and I made a mistake, they'd go, don't, oh, don't, 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 don't. And now, here's a man who kind of looks like Homer Simpson with a lot more hair, but other than that, he's kind of got that sort of lazy, sort of chill vibe. It's mm -hmm. Barry Davis. Nope. <laughs> what are you talking about like that? I, 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 there was a time where I could do a Homer Simpson impersonation. That was probably back in the 90s. Can't do it so much anymore. Yes. Homer Bush. Folks, try it. Google Homer Bush and see what comes up on your Google search. Welcome to the program, everyone. There's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. And this week on Out of the Park, we will speak to the aforementioned Homer Bush and what a great conversation, Tom. Another class act and another great member of a bad Toronto Blue Jays team <laughs> that, uh, you know, really deserved much more because he had his best years with the Jays. Yeah, he did. And, and you know, he was one of those examples of, of someone with the, the, the talent and, and all the tools to go all the way. And those injury bugs can, it can be such a devastating thing. And he's still making the best of it. Yeah, he certainly is. Homer Bush joins us this week on Out of the Park. We will also uh, talk about yet another Toronto Blue Jay injury, this one to Mr. Dolis. And Dolis has got himself uh, a strained finger. What exactly does that mean and how does that happen? Raj Sapaya will tell us. And, and you have you have one of those finger issues too, don't you, Tom? Right there. It yeah, will we really never be straight again. Yeah, we don't need to see it. We really don't need to see it. Uh, up next, uh, why are ball players pulling down their pants on the field? We'll explain next. There's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. You're listening and watching Out of the Park. A play ball! Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, the first pitch with Barry Davis. And the first pitch is brought to you by our good pals at manscaped.com and they are the creators of the lawnmower 4.0 if you're watching you see the box in my hand tom and i not only endorse this product but we both use this product it is incredible no matter what part of your body you would like to trim now i'm going to show you that are those that are watching the part of the body that i use this on and don't worry, you have to worry about hiding the kids. My beard. And I've been using this on my beard, and I love it, Tom. I love, love, love this thing. It uh, it gives me a nice, clean, yet still scruffy look. Well, I'm going to tell you and all of our listeners something. Um, I obviously use my Manscaper, as we've discussed. I've used it as it was intended, and, and it is a wonderful product that helps me stay clean, hygienic. Um and I was so impressed with Manscaped. You know, we've got this deal with them. And, you know, this is the end of our sort of first month. And we'll see how it goes after this. But I was so impressed with the Lawnmower 4.0 that I actually purchased their uh, their nose and, 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 and ear trimmer. Oh, because, see, this is what happens to a gentleman like yourself as you get older. And that is hair grows in places you don't want it growing. In unfortunate places. And just like on our show, Barry, you know, there's there's hard parts to every story, be it a baseball story, be it a human life, right? And it's not about avoiding them. It's about taking care of them and making the best of them. And let me tell you, I was so impressed with the 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 lawnmower and, and now with the with the with the other trimmer, it's it's knocked it out of the park, Barry. So to all of our listeners, this is our last week officially on the out of the park discount for 20% off. I implore you go on manscaped.com. Take a look at the amazing products that they have there. And, you know, I've tried, I've tried both the trimmer and now the, and, and the mower as well. And 
they're out of the park. Give them a spin. 20% off this week. Use the promo code out of the park. Awesome. All right, Tom. Speaking of balls, uh, I've got a couple I'd like to show you right now. You ready? Let's see them. All right. Here we go, folks. Tom, in my hand is a baseball that is currently That used. looks like a shiny white baseball there, Barry. Shiny Look white how baseball. shiny and white that is. Yeah. This one uh, has the commissioner's signature on it. Okay. Mm -hmm. It is a current baseball. And for those of you that are listening, Tom just described it really well. It's a nice shi uh, shiny Any white ball. baseball. In my hand here is another baseball. Well, that one's seen and, some use. And this one, this one goes back to 1994. And I'll tell you why. Because this was hit by Chili Davis on opening day against the Blue Jays, 1994, April the 9th. And I was in the, in the crowd, and that is the only ball that I ever got as a fan. So that, that's cool and all, but when I put the two baseballs side by side, for those of you watching, you can see a huge, huge difference between a baseball from 20 years ago and a baseball from now. And, of course, it's nice wishful thinking for me to say, that 1994 was 20 years ago. My God, it's a lot more than that. It's getting close to 30 years ago. But this is what has happened to the baseball folks. And this is why we have pitchers that are complaining. This is why we have pitchers that are using illegal substances to get themselves a better grip. This beautiful, shiny white baseball is slippery. This one, which was rubbed down with mud many years ago, is nowhere near. If you can, all these years later, you can still feel the tackiness on the baseball. So what's the point I'm getting to, Tom? The point is, if Major League Baseball had just kept doing this, which is rub the baseballs down with mud before they're used in a game, I don't think we would have any issues with pitchers constantly trying to find something else to add to the ball. And I have no idea what was behind Major League Baseball's decision to stop rubbing them up with mud. That's an awesome point. And I didn't even know, you know, that that was such a widespread practice. Um, I always go back to, you know, this is cheating. It was Major League Baseball sponsored cheating for how many years have they known about it? Um, as, as much as a malcontent as a guy like Trevor Bauer seems, it's pretty cool what he's done. I mean, this is all coming to a, to a head because of him, right? Legal or illegal? And he called MLB out for pitchers using these substances for how many years? Two years? Three years? Yeah, nobody listened. Yeah, nobody listened. It got no attention. And so he went, fine, I'm going to cheat. And he won a Cy Young. Like, that's awesome, right? And then he signs this massive contract with the Dodgers. That it's, it's all but implied that he's got this wonderful new substance that's better than anybody else's, right? The Angels clubhouse attendant already got arrested this season for his substance. Now, Bauer gets this wonderful deal to the Dodgers, and everybody's spin rates go through the roof. And he forced MLB to act on it. And, you know... As cool as that story is, we've talked to a few people in the last couple of weeks that have shown us the opposite side of the coin and, and how it is a give and take. And, and until you're showing me that ball with like the rub down and mud, could it be that simple? Could we just go back to a sunscreen and rosin? Like there's got to be a common sense solution for this so that, you know, the guys don't have to go out there with crazy glue. Well, that and the fact that the solution that Major League Baseball has come up with right now is an absolute joke to have to have the umpires come out to a pitcher like a Max Scherzer or yeah, <laughs> well, the one we're going to see for those watching right now. Uh, I mean, this this is actually pretty funny, but but Ramos was like, you know what? You want to check me? Check me. I'll take my pants off for you. Right. And. and and this is one of the big problems we're facing right now. And I think I heard Pat Tabler mention it on the broadcast this past week that when a pitcher's on a mound, that's their office. That's where they work. That's the focus. Their focus is the pitcher, the catcher, the batter. 
Now, all of a sudden, you've got an umpire coming out to you and, you know, asking you to undo your belt in the middle of the game. It's, it's ridiculous. It's beyond ridiculous. I think that this is something that should have been looked at before, but you can't just do it A, mid-season, and B, mid-game. Yeah. If somebody is in the Olympics and they do a, a urine test, they don't do it in the middle of the race. When the race is over, you get tested. I think Major League Baseball has a wonderful, wonderful track record of acting, you know, in, in the right way when it's convenient and it just so happens to make the money, right? And and for all the fans, to everybody out there that's like, you know, if you cheat, you're this terrible person and blah, 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 blah. And you know what? I don't go that far. And if you're going to throw millions of dollars at someone and the ability to take care of their family for the rest of like their family's existence... I'm not going to value judge on them. I'm not going to, you know, but what I am going to say is, is major league baseball. Should you not create an environment that's, you know, either a little bit more tolerant of it or a little bit less encouraging of it. Right. MLB is known that the pitchers have been putting this stuff on balls for years. MLB knew they practically engineered the steroid thing. MLB knew that meth was being used by players in the 50s and 60s, right? Like, it's only when they get caught and it looks bad on them and it starts making them maybe potentially lose money that this gets talked about. And so, you know, again, thank you, Trevor Bauer, for bringing this up. Thank you, Major League Baseball, for trying to make the game a little bit fair. I suggest you start with Chris Colabello and the 20-some-odd players now that have been unjustly banned from the game and had their careers destroyed by something that could be pretty easy to fix if you take a critical look at it wow okay this is something i'm going to do this is a first here on the show i'm standing up and i'm going to give you a standing ovation for that tom that was <laughs> very very well said oh okay still to come on the show our conversation with former toronto blue jay homer bush and speaking of pitchers folks on next week's show We'll be chatting with former Toronto Blue Jay closer and a first-timer here on Out of the Park, B.J. Ryan. And we will ask B.J. Ryan about the ball syndrome. We, we, we'll show B.J. Ryan these balls. Are we going to ask B.J. about the balls? B.J.'s balls. All right. <laughs> we go from <laughs> balls to fingers. Up next here, there's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. You're listening to and watching Out of the Park. Foundation Physiotherapy presents... The Medical Room. It is time once again to chat with our good pal Raj Sapaya from Foundation Physiotherapy. Raj, you got your old backdrop back today for those watching. It looks good, man. It looks good. And you look good. You always look good, Raj Sapaya. Yeah. Thanks. yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Barry. I appreciate the compliment. So, Raj, uh, four locations for Foundation Physiotherapy, three in person, one online. Tell our listeners and viewers how they can find Foundation Physiotherapy. For sure. Uh, you guys can check us out online at foundationphysio.com or on social media at Foundation Physio. Give us a shout. Uh, we're open. We're safe. Um, and we're going to treat all of your back, all of your pains and aches and get you on the right path for recovery. That's all important stuff. Okay. Raj Sapaya. Um, the Toronto Blue Jays, tons of injuries this year. Rafael Dolis has a sprained finger. Now, I totally understand that pitching is all about feel and grip. But when we're talking about a sprained finger, is there really damage that can be done to that finger throwing a baseball, or is this just a pain-tolerance situation? Uh, so whenever we mention the word sprain, we talk about ligaments, right? Uh, strain means muscle, sprain means ligament. So... We have to look at our finger uh, and when we look at our finger we actually look at it's not just one bone there's actually three bones right and there's there's a big bone here as well so between these bones there's ligaments that hold these bones together that's what's preventing my finger from for example hyperextending backwards right that's what all that's all i can do if i didn't have the ligaments protecting me I'd, it'd go way back and i'd, I'd it'd create some discomfort so um in terms of a protective it's probably from overuse clearly like you know a lot just a straight up overuse of, of his arm that the ligaments have gotten weak. And um, so likely in terms of, I don't even think it's a pain tolerance thing. I think it's first of all, also protecting his hand from being more damaged uh, and just being able to perform letter better later on. 
and going down the can this haunt him for a while thing. I don't know if you can see my finger there, but as you notice, it's not it's not yeah. straight. I, oh, I, it's your fourth finger. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, what you're doing. <laughs> I, I got I got all the ligaments jammed in it. Yeah, I'll pop. And so now it's, my finger's been crooked for for years. It's not just your finger, Tom. Just my finger. Thank you. No, no, not no. I said not just your finger is crooked. Oh, oh, come on, man. All right. Well, anyways, could he end up overstraining his finger to the point where those ligaments do pop? Like this is like mallet finger. It, it comes from like a sharp jab down onto the finger. But of could course. a picture with something like yeah, that. of course, which is why they're probably um, noticing it early. And, you know, because we have all like for the most part, we've all might have had multiple sprains in our hands, but we kind of just let it be because we're normal people. We don't have to pitch at that kind of depth that they do. Um, so we don't, you know, we don't always have the resources to get to stay off of our job for two weeks and strengthen our hands, you know, so we kind of just deal with small finger sprains. They're, they're not overly painful, um, but they do give you like, you know, especially a pitch from pitcher the hand is, is so important just to be able to grip that ball so you know even if it's the smallest sprain um from a protective standpoint to make sure he his hand doesn't get like that even five years from now tom it's good to to have him you know early intervention recognize it pull him out strengthen rest recover and then get back into it when the hand has the strength back are you guys ready for a little conspiracy theory go for it okay so this year Major League Baseball is really cracking down on pitchers using any kind of sticky substance on the balls. And earlier in the program, I showed Tom a baseball from 15 years ago and a baseball from today. And the baseball 15 years ago was rubbed in mud like all baseballs were, and there was more of a grip. Is it possible that we could see more finger injuries from pitchers because they're gripping the ball harder because they don't have the same friction on the ball? I think so. I think so. And, and so gripping the, the, there's this whole like power effect, right? You got to grip the ball hard and let it go harder because the harder you grip the ball, the harder you have to throw to let it go. You have to open your hands. So you're going to have a higher chance of sprains with that power differential from that hard grasp to the hard release. Hey, Tom, Tom, eyes on the prize. Eyes on the prize. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm looking something very important up because I have a follow-up question for this. Okay. So, so I think, I think that, Yes, you can see it. But that being said, if you know that's the case, you make your hands stronger. They also have so much more tools today. You know, like I have seen hand, like you, I mean, I've seen what the major league baseball players use for hand strengthening. It's nothing you'll find in a regular gym, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's quite innovative stuff. So they have, they have those tools and those tools should be used regularly by the pitchers, by all the players, actually, because hand strength is so important in baseball generally. You know, Barry brings up a good point of, of injury coming out of this sort of switch mid-season in, in league policy. Uh, and it's not the first time that's been brought up. Tyler Glass now, pitcher on the Rays, um, just tore, I believe it was his UCL. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he's specifically blaming his inability to use the substances that he's been using to pitch and grip the ball yeah. for that break. Could you, could you, as a healthcare professional, could you see that, like not being able to, to grip the or having to change the grip, actually resulting in a tear in the elbow? Yes, I, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to take a side here, but I do agree. For any athlete, a change in mechanics without preparation can create it. If, you know, if they had consulted with the medical team or anybody like that, likely it's better to make a change off season so that the athletes have time to strengthen and train so that they understand the science behind it and then reinstall it next season. But mid-season, it's very hard because now I'm so used to holding something and now I have to hold it harder, but I'm still playing. So I haven't had an off-season to strengthen my whole forearm. So, yeah, I agree with the pitcher. Like, there are higher chances of injury by changing your mechanics midway through the season. It should have been done in the off-season. See, I, I have the same issue because I changed hosts midway through out of the park, and I've had to carry Tom for the last several <laughs> months. My body is just killing me, Raj Sapaya. <laughs> a big Tom, load, a big I've load. Been of with you. I've been with you for a few years, Barry. You always have a good, consistent relationship. With yes, our relationship is not strained or sprained, fortunately. <laughs> Raj, we'll talk to you next week, pal. <laughs> All right, guys. Though my eyes could see, I still was a blind man. Though my mind could think, I still was a mad man. I hear the voices when.
We're joined now by former Toronto Blue Jay. I, 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 unfortunately, Homer, I do have to say you're a former Yankee. I know Blue Jay fans don't like the Yankees per se, but it was funny because we had you know Dave Winfield come over to the Blue Jays after being a Yankee. Fans loved him. Uh, Ricky Henderson, fans loved him. Homer Bush, fans loved you. Uh, as a guy that has played for both teams, do you understand the hatred out there that a lot of fans have for the Yankees? Uh, yeah, no doubt. Um, I actually lived it. You know, I went from um, loving the Yankees when I was with them. And then when I got with the Blue Jays, uh, you almost felt like they were the big brother that was going to always get all the breaks and have all the, the best talent. And so you almost felt like you were fighting for respect. So I actually lived it as a player. Um, but then when I went back to being a Yankee, I went back to enjoying them again, as you can imagine. But uh, yeah, that, and for me, that's what I think it is. I don't um, know what others feel about it, but sometimes you just get tired of people being on top. So now that you're clear of the game a little bit, looking at teams and you're trying to decide who to watch, there's a Yankee game on, there's a Blue Jay game on, what are you going to watch? That's a great question. See, I have YouTube TV, and most of the time we get Yankee games here in Texas. And I don't know if because they have a contract, but um, you're definitely that's a that's a really good question because I am torn a little bit um, because the championship with the uh, Yankees and but the but the Blue Jays gave me my first opportunity to play every day. So as you can imagine, extremely grateful for that uh, for that organization doing that for me. And Homer, I mean, let's face it, you, you had put up some really good years with the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, the season probably where you played more games than ever. Uh, in your career and you know Tom and I were looking at your numbers and uh, you were really hampered by injuries weren't you through through parts of your career because just trying to find a season where you had a, like a full year uh, in in the league that um, I did produce when I was on the field like you were saying the injuries kept me off the field and uh, as I got you know later into my career I started getting more expensive and teams felt like hey you know you know it's it's gonna be a pretty expensive guy for 50% of the season. And um, then also Moneyball came along and, you know, they felt like they could pay younger players that walked, you know, more and could play just as good a defense, if not better. And so, you know, it was a little mixed bag. Uh, injuries, Moneyball, and just, you know, teams, uh, the collective bargaining agreement was coming up and it kind of pinched the guys that were in the middle. So you had the superstars at the top and you had kind of the younger uh, you know, one, two, three-year guys that was kind of rounding out the rosters. You, you bring up the injuries, and yeah, it's it's unfortunately, you know, such a big part of the game, no matter what position we're playing. And you, How many players do we talk to, Barry, and we, we've followed the careers of, who really seem to be plagued by that? Um, but looking at your career, you know, and, and taking a look back at the injuries that you battled, was it, was it a circumstance thing? Was it just a, a bad luck thing, most of these injuries? Or was it from training maybe that you're looking back at now going, uh, you know what, I should have maybe worked on, say, stretching as opposed to strengthening more? Um, great question. You know, uh, definitely a mixed bag, right? Um, you know, improper training. Um, uh, didn't really know how to pace myself. <laughs> just wanted to be young, play hard, energetic you know, uh, diving all over the place, sliding head first, running <laughs> balls out that uh, wouldn't ordinarily be infield hits, but trying to turn them into infield hits was crazy to me now that I think about it. You know, it's like one of my biggest injuries was my uh, hamstring. Um, even though my I had hip surgery, uh, that actually felt better. But running down to first base trying to beat out an infield hit that injury never healed i'm still dealing with that now so you know just uh not knowing uh you know uh, how to play the game properly pace myself you know don't just be diving after balls because i you know just because you can you know make it a play that you can get to and make the out not just to catch the ball so you know, it, it, it's crazy now that I look back on it. I would totally do things. I would do things totally different big time. You know, part of me thinks, you know, as 
the world continues to move and technology gets better and our information gets better, then we'd probably see less and less of this. But yet we're seeing more and more of injuries, even injuries of guys just running to first base and pulling a hammy or, or doing something. And it, 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 do you think it's more of an age thing so that a younger player might be thinking, I need to impress because I need to stay up with the team, so I'm going to push it a little bit more than I should push it as opposed to, you know, we're going to see less injuries because the you know medical science is so much better. I mean, if guys are, are not doing what they should, I guess it doesn't matter what kind of technology we have. Right, correct. And um, you're spot on with the younger, you know, the young player just trying to uh, just trying to impress. Um, you know, I know there's a need to entertain at max speed, but think about it. Um, my son, um, uh, scout told him one time, hey, I want you to run on and off the field every inning. And my son was like doing the math. He was like, okay, from the dugout to center field. <laughs> 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 He's like, like, I get it. I grasped the, I grasped the concept of you want the scout to see you, um, you know, playing hard and, you know, giving your all. But he's like, it's just not smart to run on and off the field max speed for nine innings. You know, like, man, where's your energy for the game? So if you look at it through that lens, um, multiplied by 162 games at the major league level, like it just makes no sense. The fact that it, this information keeps perpetuating itself year in and year out, and no one is standing up and saying, "Wait, wait, wait, wait!" It's okay to jog onto the field, conserve your energy for you know when you get into the game, because not only are you uh, wearing yourself down, but you're tearing your body down at the exact same time. Wow. Well, as a, a guy who has a son who plays baseball. Uh, you have a lot in common with Tom. Now, Tom didn't play in the majors like you, but he's still in a situation where he has a, a son who has potential to be a great ball player. So, Tom, I'm going to turn it over to you to pick the brain of Mr. Homer Bush here. <laughs> What's the most important lesson that you taught your son about baseball? You know, Tom, it's the craziest thing. In order to be successful, you have to do things that's not gonna give you a return, but you just have to do them anyway. For example, ball hits a shortstop third base, second baseman backs up the throw. You have to do that a thousand times before they only need you once or twice. Same goes with the pop fly in the air. It's like, they're gonna catch it nine out of 10 times, but you still have to run just in case that one time they miss it you can get to second base and it may just seem like you hustle. Well, if you look at every phase of the game, um, you know, you gotta consistently have the exact same approach, even though it may not give you a return, right? Because the guy may throw the ball out of the zone. You cannot not look for the fastball and expecting something off speed. And that's when he throws you the fastball. So if you, you see what I'm saying, like, like you have to have a game plan and execute that game plan each and every time, because the success is going to come out of all that. And that's where consistency comes in. <laughs> nice. You know, I love, and, and I love that because it, it is, it's such a game. He's my son's 11 right now. And it, it He's actually really sold on exactly what you're talking about. That's the part of the game that he loves. He loves being there, like the, the little fine plays, right? Like backing up the play just right or being ready for that double play. And uh, But it's amazing hearing it from someone like yourself as, as being so such an important thing. No, I appreciate it, yeah. But it makes the game fun because you're always moving. You're always thinking. You're always one step ahead of the process. And you never get caught flat-footed. And that's where mistakes happen when you're not prepared. Homer, we've talked to a number of players who have uh, fathers who played the game. And they all talk about, you know, how great it was growing up at the ballpark, how great it was having such a great mentor. But there was also the pressure times of maybe living up to their father's legacy. And whether it be, you know, Jesse Barfield's son or Todd Stoudemire, uh, Mel Stoudemire's son, Todd, uh, now we've got Guerrero and Bichette and Biggio. 
uh, being on the other side as the father of a player who is going through a journey right now, what is that like with you? Is there certain fine points of you want to get involved, but you don't want to get too involved? At some point, you got to let his coach do it, but you still like it, Are there a lot of in, inner battles that you have to go through as you are going through this journey with your son? Yeah. So basically, um, once my son was 15, I uh, allowed him to be coached by others. So um, I realized then I'm going to have to take a step back if I'm really going to have to take if I'm really going to step back and let someone coach him. I can't be trying to coach him and while he's playing for somebody else. Well, I did notice there was a difference in the information I had compared to the information they had. So in a perfect world, you'd like to have a working relationship with the coach since I've had him since he was, you know, so I've been coaching since he was five. I should have some type of input. But the way high school and college baseball is run now, you kind of have to be hands off. But when they're if they're succeeding, let them go. And when they're failing, just try to, you know, help out where you can. Like, I try not to get messy, but I do try to be there when he needs me. So Does he come to you as often now as he did when he was younger? Um, no, no. Matter of fact, less. Because, and I think that's actually pretty cool because you don't want to have too many thoughts and too many game plans, right? So what I usually do is step back, let the outcome take place over a long period of time, you know, uh, you know, a couple, few weeks, you know, um, and then I'll step in if I need to, if I think I can help. Now, if I don't have a clue, I'm not going to start throwing stuff out there, Uh but as far as pressure, my son, he has no pressure, literally. Like, and I'm just not just saying this because he's far more talented than I would ever be. Like, I mean, the kid is tall, fast. Everything he does is electric. But the problem is, the one thing I learned was that someone has to give you an opportunity. And the competition is so thick these days. If you get the opportunity, great. There is no way a player, not many, play themselves into an opportunity you literally have to be liked by somebody so it's kind of luck of the draw at the same time it takes you know a, a tremendous amount of talent so um you know all we're doing is just working and hopefully someone will give him a chance when you're watching him play you know amongst his peers mm-hmm. how different is that game today than it was when you were that age playing it are they are these kids playing the same game you were all time, no chance. But man, I was, <laughs> dude, I, if I was the best player, <laughs> where uh, the scout drafted me, scout saw me and was like, "Oh my gosh, I gotta, t- I gotta have this kid. I gotta draft him." Out of millions of kids that play baseball, you know, at that time it was just pretty much nationwide, right? Um, I mean, guys are hitting the ball so much further. Pitchers are throwing the ball so much harder. I mean. And, and here's where I think I can help my son in a way. Block all that out because you don't compare yourself, um, you know, to one or two particular guys. You have to base it on metrics. Are you fast? Can you hit the ball far? And can you throw the ball hard? And can you play defense? You just do that and everything else take care of itself. Because I can tell you right now, if I was one of these kids these days in the competition that they are playing with and against for scholarships and the potential to be drafted, I mean, I would be mentally messed up every day because everybody looks like a superstar. <laughs> wow. <You know>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Homer, uh, let's go back in time. What do you remember about February the 18th, 1999? Does that date ring a bell to you? Because if it doesn't, I'll tell you what happened on that date. But it was a pretty significant day in your career. I signed a multi-year contract? No. No. Close, close. You were traded. That was the day the Yankees traded you and Graham Lloyd and Boomer Wells to the Blue Jays for Roger Clemens. Now, you had just come off two years with the Yankees. Uh you're probably thinking, you know, I'm a Yankee for life. I, I've been shaving every day. No beards, no mustaches. I'm doing everything they say. Did this come out of Did this come out of left field for you? No, no, not at all. As a matter of fact, um, during that 98 season, see, I was supposed to have gotten traded 
in spring training of 98. But as luck would have it for me, uh, Louis Soho broke his hand. So Cashman was like, okay, because uh, they didn't want to release me and not get anything in return for me. And Cashman did say there were like eight teams that were interested. You know, he just wanted to try to get the best deal possible. All right, cool. So I'm, being, I'm waiting patiently. Um, Soho breaks his hand. He says, hey, we're going to take you up north with us. Well, they were putting me in the games and I was making stuff happen, you know, putting me in the game, getting knocks, coming off the bench, playing well. Well, when Soho came back, they ended up releasing another guy. And so that's how I was able to stay up. So I literally played my way onto that roster for the full season. If my value was high in spring training with no, you know, not many MLB chances, and then I went out and played well, I can only imagine what they could have gotten from me, you know, the more I played. And so um, once the season ended, I guess we had some older guys, had some leg issues. So I was coming off the bench, pinch running, getting spot starts. And um, so I kind of created some value over the 98 season. So but Cashman did say, hey, um, too young to, you know, have this role at this stage in your career. We're going to try to trade you. And it, what's crazy was that in spring training, I did exceptionally well against the Jays. And during the season, I think I did pretty, pretty good also. And so I know I had caught, at least caught their attention. 98 is significant because I was uh, trade talks. So I knew I was going to get traded. So it was, uh, they were, Cashman would keep me in the loop about, you know, where, where the organization was um, with me. And so um, when I got traded, I kind of knew it was going down because they couldn't, they really didn't want to take me um, back up north again and not play me. Because I think I only got, what, 75 ABs, 78 ABs, something like that. Yeah. So when you get to yeah. Toronto, you know, it's uh -huh. not just a new team. It's an entirely new country. What was, what was the biggest, what was the biggest, like, what the heck moment? Or did you even have one? Or was it a smooth transition? Or did you just no, notice the pizza was way worse? And, and, and coins, $1 coins too, right? I mean. Eh. Yes, I promise you. I was so young and hungry and nervous and scared. Like, <laughs> there was so many things going on in my mind. But the one thing that, that was noticeable, though, was the, the hamburger meat. It's okay. a different consistency than the, <laughs> the meat. <laughs> and something that's really cool, I think, is, man, you guys have the, Canada has the best ketchup that I've ever tasted. You know, oh, this it, is could true. The, yeah, it could be the exact <laughs> same ketchup. <laughs> but, man, it just hit different, as my wife would say. <laughs> uh, for a guy who played the infield as often as you did, um, I'm, I'm just curious your take recently in a Toronto Blue Jays game against the New York Yankees. Ross Stripling's on the mound. A play doesn't get made by Joe Panic, and Stripling loses it. I don't know if you saw the footage, but he loses it on the mound at uh, Panic. And then there's a shot of them in the dugout, and he's kind of talking to Panic a little bit. After the game, he issues an apology directly to Panic, to the team, and then on social media. First of all, as a player, has a pitcher ever uh shown you up on the field for not making a play um i have to be honest with you i cannot remember um that just shows how rare it is though right that it happens on the field yeah but uh remember uh jack wilson and um gosh what's the uh picture um yankee well with, with the pirates um uh, they had a, a deal on, on, on the field as well. I was just talking with Wilson about this about a month ago. That's why it's yeah. so funny that you bring it up. <laughs> um, uh, you know, what I can say about that incident is this. Panic comes across as an extremely nice young man. I, you know, I'm, I'm only going by what I see on TV. And, um, and I've heard a few interviews. And, um, and Stripling, I know, I know, you know, the high school he went to, and this really good community right so mm -hmm. i know that um you know he's been taught to you know respect the game and you know, respect his teammates um i'm guessing what happens it just happened in the moment um and tony batista taught me something many many years ago third baseman yeah he was playing third ball hit to him trying to get the force at second slightly to my right i kind of 
threw the glove up there, but I didn't catch it, went off my glove. He gets the error, but it was a catchable ball. And he said to me uh, the next day, he said, you know, man, could you have, you know, could you have gotten that ball? You know, I know I got to make a better throw, but could you have ma made that play for me? And I was like, oh, yeah, I see, man, I, I just kind of snatched at it, my bad. And he was just like, you know, just, you know, just keep in mind that uh, I'm playing for my family, too. Ooh. Right. Like, man, you know, and, you know, and he was he was it was a jokey jokey, but that was a message in there. So when stuff like this happens, it's not because the pitcher or the infielder or the, the person is trying to be selfish as in like, right, right. They really just saying, man, I'm out here working hard, you know, like help me out too. Like, don't just play for your family, play for my family too. And so, so as you can imagine, I have mixed feelings, you know, of course it's not a cool thing to see and it probably going to do a little damage to the, the friendship and the relationship, um, you know, which will heal with time. But I mean, there is a deeper message I feel, you know, uh, you know, that uh, Stripling was trying to say, hey, man, you make that play. And, you know, things look different for me in the stat line. And you can tell just by Stripling's reaction how much it affected him that he did something he shouldn't have done. I think he was he was absolutely humiliated by it. And I give the guy full credit for for manning up and, and, and admitting it and saying, listen, I did the wrong thing. I'm sorry to the fans. I'm sorry to panic. I'm sorry to my organization. Not a lot of players would do that. A lot of them would just, you know, I'll talk to him privately and we'll just let this thing blow over. But uh, he stood up, I think, big time. Yeah, yeah. See, that just goes back to what I was saying. Like, I, I'm two, you know, really good teammates and just this flare-up, um, I hope doesn't do, you know, serious damage where it kind of breaks the clubhouse up a little bit because I'm pretty sure they both have their clicks and mm -hmm. no one wants to see anyone get disrespected. But by the same token, it's like, Hey, pitcher did his job, do your job. So, right. So like, mm -hmm. man, it, it can, it could get out of control a little bit if, if they don't watch it. Does it just come almost as a natural consequence of a really young team with a lot of expectations behind them, hitting a couple of stumbling blocks and, and just needing to learn some hard lessons? Absolutely, Tom. And Tom, you know, this team here reminds me of the Blue Jays teams that I played on. Mm -hmm. You know, there's excitement about the roster. You know, things are kind of, you know, on a, you know, upward trajectory. Um, but then you got to go through Boston and New York. And now Tampa Bay is in the mix. Right? Like, right? Like, that's just the reality of the AL East. You know, you can have all the expectations you want, but the reality is you have to climb Mount Everest to be a major player in the AL East. Wow. Homer, every week on the show, we invite some of our insiders to come sit in on this. And uh, Tom, you will attest to this. Uh, we get better questions from our insiders each and every week than we do. From every single week. Every they single it, week. They bring it big time. So They're uh, nicer than us. They're better looking. <laughs> And they're all coming into the room right now. Uh, guys, as you all uh, enter the room, you can all say hello to Mr. Homer Bush. And, uh, Homer, we're going to begin. Uh, let's go with Jody, who uh, you'll have your first question uh, here with Mr. Homer Bush. Say hello. I thought, since we've been talking so much about um, the youth, or the last few questions about the youthfulness of, of the game and what's going on, um, who are you watching these days? Who, which, which players are exciting you the most? It doesn't have to be a Jay, but anybody in the league. <laughs> better not be a Yankee. Just not a Yankee. <laughs> oh yeah, not a Yankee. <laughs> you have to admit the Yankees are a tough watch these days. Like, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but um, you know, just pretty much the regulars, the ones that ESPN just throws down our, you know, throw down our throat each and every day. The Tatis is everywhere. Uh, you remember there was a stretch with Mookie Betts. I mean, you couldn't turn baseball on and Mookie Betts wasn't on, right? Uh, yeah. So with the, you know, with this younger audience now that Trout's hurt, Trout is always one of my favorites because he's going to do something electric, you know, most of the time, whether it, you know, hard hit ball, nice defensive play, or aggressive base running. So, uh, but the one thing I can say is. And this is, I think, is kind of uh, a good bad for the Jays. The Jays have, you know, some electric young players coming up that they're 
given a lot of airtime to. And it's actually fun to watch. But the problem is, like you said, that youthfulness is just not turning into those, you know, extremely urgent wins right now, which could, you know, be those, you know, extremely urgent wins right now, which could, you know, be a, a detriment to their season long term. But like the Jays do have some exciting young players that are getting a lot of airtime right now. So basically whatever's in front of me, I try not to uh, uh, search for anything, but I think baseball do a, a good job of um, uh, highlighting the players that's having uh, really good seasons. Jody, thanks for your question. Great question. And, and Homer, you've written a book about hitting. And I remember last time we had you on the show, we were kind of looking at uh, the way Judge was standing. And we talked a lot about how, you know, guys that are smaller, they get down like an Altuve, a, a lot of times have a, a, a better idea of, of what they're doing at the plate that way. Now, you've got two guys on the Blue Jays that are both tearing it up in different ways, in Vladimir Guerrero and Bo Bichette. Neither one of them have what you would call the textbook type swing, right? Bo is just like going crazy to hit the ball, and Vladdy, well, he's a Guerrero, right? So uh, it's a little unorthodox. But when you, why are these two guys so successful when neither one of them are really doing the the textbook way of doing it? You know, it's funny you say that because they have a lot. Uh, there's a lot more in common than um, than the eyes could can tell right so you kind of have to break the process down right before the the barrel moves forward so eliminate the batting stances and the actual attack angle and you will see they both have a natural arc bows just travel extremely far and um uh, guerrero's his attack angle is a little steeper initially on the descent but it actually he gets into his arc through the snap of his wrist so it's it's um mm-hmm. it's actually pretty cool to see, and I can break that I can break that down for you. You know, uh, send your video, and you can share it on your on your Zoom. Yeah, but uh, love yeah, that'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have a lot in common, which is actually pretty cool because uh, Gary L has the exact same uh, mm-hmm. exact same swing. So um, I mean, they like it's there's really no other option. They just are doing a really good job of moving these pitches when everyone else's uh, timing is, may not be there. Awesome. Uh, Sue, you're up next. Say hello to Homer Bush. Hi, Homer. Great. Hey. Great. Again. Hello. Oh, you guys have met before, have you? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Remember the COVID hair, too? <laughs> you oh, haven't yeah. changed a bit. You look just absolutely like you, like a last song. You oh, look- thank you. <laughs> anyway, my, my question was, what, what were your highlights of playing in Toronto, whether it was on the field or what you liked to do when you had time off? And, and just one other Yankees-related question. I'm mm-hmm. all into bling and everything. Do you uh, ever wear your World Series ring? Well, I want to answer the second question first. because. Uh, <laughs> First answer is going to be a little, uh, it's going to be a little, <laughs> little lengthy, all right? But uh, I, uh, I only wear it like to events. Um, but I, um, yeah, like so if I go make an appearance, I think it's a cool conversation piece, especially if it's a room full of people I don't know. Um, and sometimes I wear it to show off at dinner. You know, it just, you know, someone at the next table will go, "Hey, is that a?" <laughs> Well, see me, right? So, uh, but but not not very often. Uh, but as far as like the highlights of playing in Toronto, uh, I don't even know where to start with this one because I love I got, my time. I got to show you this though first. Oh, uh-huh. uh-huh. that's that, that's my that's my fantasy camp ring. Championship yeah, team, yeah, right. Yeah, you see what I'm saying. <laughs> I carry it around with me proudly, Homer. Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry. So. Part two. Now, other than other than going out for dinner with John Fragosi all the time, what were some of the? No, no, we know that you and you and John were not. No, it's so funny because uh, I love everything about Toronto. Um, I love getting up in the morning because you know I live you know downtown. I love getting up, just going and you know grabbing a bagel, coffee and bagel uh, before I would go to the stadium. Um, then. Man, to take the field with a bunch of young guys, uh, you know, that I could relate to and they could relate to me. And it seemed like we were always trying to build something, which was actually pretty cool. Um, and then when the games were over, uh, and I had some really cool moments there. You know, I had 
the best year of my career in Toronto. I mean, that second half in 99, it seemed like everything went right for me. Um, and, uh, and they rewarded me very well, uh, you know, for my efforts. So, um, you know, I got a chance to make a little money, provide for my family. But then, you know, just to go out, uh, back then, Benny Hanna's was huge, um, <laughs> you know, I, right? So, but, but uh, Drake kind of went in on Benny Hanna, so I don't be throwing <laughs> that around too much. <laughs> it's still one of my favorite memories of visiting Toronto. And uh, just giving my, my wife, who was my high school sweetheart, giving her... Uh, the opportunity to spend time in another country, you know, we should, you know, get out with our kids. And so, it, I mean, it's just an amazing place to, uh, to be. Awesome. Sue. Thank, thank you. you. Fiona, you are up next with Homer Bush. Hi Homer. It's nice to meet you. Hey, hi Fiona. I'm just wondering, you had a very successful baseball career, but you're also successful as a football player in high school and college. Do you, did you, how much did you miss playing football? Well, almost like, um, I miss it as much as a root canal, right? <laughs> 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 you know, I'll be honest with you. I, was, I wasn't much for contact. Football was literally something I did. It was one of those deals where, you know, I grew up in the inner city. My parents couldn't pay for education. Football was the thing to do. And so I worked at it you know, was able to get myself a scholarship, but I signed my letter of intent in February. And then in June of the exact same year, I was drafted. So I didn't have to entertain football, but I really wasn't much for ramming my body into someone else's body long-term. So uh, I don't miss it very much. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Do your kids Great play question, football? Though. My son did up until, um, uh, in, until ninth grade. He finished his ninth grade season. And um, he was a running back. So, you know, he got tackled 20, 30 times a game. And he was actually brought up to varsity to just kind of get a feel for the pace of the pace of play and the physicality of the game. And I think he was just like, man, I'm not going to go to college to play football. <laughs> right? Like, man, I'm not going to go through this process like my dad did and eventually settle on baseball. So he just – he stopped playing after his ninth grade season and uh, just focused on baseball and uh, – uh, getting faster. Nice. Fiona, thank you so much for your question. Uh, Craig, you're up next. Craig, say hello to Homer. Homer Bush. My goodness. Homer, first of all, if you'll allow me a quick comment, I certainly hope you use the Roger Clemens trade as a point of brag for you. Cause if I'm remembering correctly, Roger Clemens at that time is the two time defending Cy Young when he's traded for Homer Bush. Is that not correct? Absolutely. I tell people all the time he was traded for me. I wasn't traded for him. Exactly correct. Exactly, exactly correct, sir. Yes. Homer, when I take a look at this Blue Jay organization, and, and, and really, I think you can expand it to any baseball organization. I've never seen so many top prospects coming up through the system that are middle infielders. It's, it's, it's really remarkable. Now, analytics through the roof these days, shifts through the roof these days, but I don't think the Jays are sending five shortstops out there anytime soon. So several of these guys are going to have to find a new position. Homer, is that par for the course as you're coming through the minor leagues? A baseball player is a baseball player. You're not concerned. Even if they have to switch to the outfield, you're not concerned. Or do you have concerns about something like this, Homer, especially considering there's so many guys that will need to find a new position before they can make the big league level? Okay, so great question. I think the analytics has uh, allowed anyone to play anywhere at any age almost. Because I even think in Cincinnati, they're taking an older uh, – third baseman and moving him to shortstop, uh, Insignia or something like that. Well, because when they can draw up, you only need to move a couple steps to your left, a couple steps mm -hmm. to the right, right? Like if you can't catch the ball by the time you get to that level, you got a problem anyway. So basically <laughs> if you can just catch the ball, they'll help you with range because ultimately range becomes the issue uh, long-term. So short-term, I think they'll be okay with just plug and play, you really don't have to have any skill sets. But the one thing that has to change in order for uh, defense to be taken serious again, and that is you're going to have to stop focusing on walks. The more the ball is put in play than the defender, you have to have a higher quality defender. But until then, they can keep doing what they're doing. Everybody's looking like a genius, but it all starts with the pitch, and the swing 
if the batter can put the ball in play more often, then things will change. But until then, you can just you can put anybody out there and, and be okay. Because I'm, I'm, I promise you, I'm looking at guys that were like first baseman and third baseman their whole careers, and now they're playing up the middle. It's like how, how's this happening, right? Like man, it, it's it's crazy to me to see a guy midway uh, in the outfield throwing guys out at first base. That's that's crazy to me, but it is what it is. Homer and uh, Craig, thank you so much for your question, Homer. Um, a lot of Blue Jay fans have been really upset. A lot of fundamental plays that haven't been made, base running mistakes, all that. And automatically, fans will always point to the manager. Now, I'm not saying that Charlie Montoyo is a great manager or a bad manager, but once you've made it to the big leagues, whose responsibility is it to to make sure the players have these fundamentals? My, my thinking is, once you've made it that far, shouldn't you already know the fundamentals? Like, do you really need your your coaching staff and your manager to constantly be reminding you of when you run on a fly ball and how you, you know, basically set yourself up to catch a fly ball, your, your track to the ball, all that kind of stuff? Well, okay, real quick, three factors. Team concept, so the player has to have the know-how, and then the manager and the coach's job is to remind the player because when you get into competition, the mind just wanders, and especially playing long games, uh, you know, if you're in the heat of battle, stuff happens. Then the third piece is you, you're going to have, um, you know, brain cramps and stuff like that that takes place. You just try to minimize them. Mm-hmm. The one thing I can say when I hear of bad fundamentals, I think of they're not thinking ahead of the process because you almost know the limitations of the results that's going to take place. So if the ball, you know, if you're one of my favorite um, miscues when I see is the runner at second base, ball hit to the shortstop's right, the runner at second advances, and the shortstop just throws the ball to third base and get him out for an easy out, right? Well, if you thought that through, because the ball can only go to the right or left of the shortstop, <laughs> so anything to the shortstop left, you advance, but if it goes to his right, you just stay. Make him make the long throw across the diamond. I did it when I, you know, I made that same mistake, but the older I got and I was able to stay in the moment, think the process, you know, think the process through, I made better decisions. So you see where the player has responsibility, the coach has responsibility, because that's the reason why they're there is to when the player is may not be in the moment to just a, a quick reminder. Hey, hey, ball to the shortstop right. Stay right. So and you do that in every phase of the game. And I think, you know, just minimize those mistakes. Awesome. Craig, once again, thank you. John, we save our most senior moment. No, sorry. Uh, our, <laughs> we, we, save, we save the best for last. John, go ahead with Homer. Homer, I, I, I'd like to find out about the person, uh, not just the athlete. So I, I went to the font of all knowledge, Wikipedia. <laughs> and I learned some things about you that are going to, I'm going to give you props for, first of all, your athleticism your footwork, and just your natural sports ability. So I'm going to read this to you because I think it's really interesting. It said, Bush attended East St. Louis High School in East St. Louis, Illinois, and was a standout wide receiver. He is mentioned periodically in a book titled The Right Kind of Heroes, written by Kevin Horrigan. The book details Coach Bob Shannon and the remarkable success of the East St. Louis Flyers football program. In 1980, 89, and 1990. Throughout the book, Bush is referenced as the team's go to player as well as a likable person. Bush still holds the Illinois State High School football records for most touchdowns scored in a single season and the most receiving yards in a single season. He was also named to the All Century Team for Illinois High School football. Bush was recru- recruited by the University of Missouri to play, rece- play receiver following his high school football career, but opted to pursue a baseball career, baseball as a career, then uh, selected by the San Diego Padres in 1991. So what that tells me, first of all, you're an athlete. You learned <laughs> your you. footwork. You were, that's why you learned your footwork. And you've got this athletic intelligence. You, you obviously 
were successful playing football. And you explained that football is a rough sport. Baseball is not as rough. But props to you for for just being uh, Homer Bush, the athlete, all round. No, you know what? I appreciate that, John. And I tell you what, you know, um, man, I had this knack, literally, when I played football. If you play scared, you'll be successful, right? Like, it's like, <laughs> it's like, no, it was like literally, I, I learned how to make people miss. And all I had to do was catch the ball. And it's the weirdest thing. Um, because I, I wasn't going to block anybody, <laughs> really wasn't going to tackle anybody. But I learned that, man, if I could just get the ball in my hands, I can make people miss. And so uh, that was literally all I tried to do. And that was, like you were saying, literally due to footwork and athleticism that I, I don't know, I was born with it, I guess, because they didn't have the kind of, uh, you know, speed and agility training nowadays back then. And so, uh, but no, I appreciate you highlighting that. And uh, it was definitely footwork. Great question as always, John. So Homer, um, how much did your life change once The Simpsons became a popular TV show? Because, I mean, Tom said that the, the moment he Googles Homer Bush, he gets this, this video of Homer Simpson leaning back into a bush. And I'm thinking, well, that's got to kind of be really weird. I mean, you are Homer, and then he comes in and becomes Homer. And now, you know, that's who you yeah. see when you Google Homer Bush. <laughs> You know, what's amazing is that whenever um, I would do something at home well, they would play March saying, oh, Homer. And so, <laughs> but when I went on the road and I made a mistake, they'd go, dope, right? So I, I kind of had to take the bitter with the sweet, right? So I was like, I just, I just play both ends and just, just roll with it. <laughs> awesome. Hey, listen, uh, before we let you go, please get in a plug for your book for everyone listening and watching, especially those that have uh, kids that are playing ball because it's, an, it's a phenomenal book for anybody who plays the game. No, hey, I appreciate it. Uh, so basically the book is about um, instead of focusing on the weight of a hit, like the home run, double, triple, uh, I, I feel baseball is going to get back to uh, how to increase uh, the volume of hits that a player gets, right? So anybody can get 130 hits. So but what we're noticing with the data is that if you want to be successful, you've got to get that hit total up to 150, 160 and I think that's where the Jays kind of fall, uh, falter offensively. Even I know they have pin it, bullpen issues, but if uh, if they can increase their total number of hits, I think they could uh, uh, help themselves out tremendously, score more runs, take a little pressure off the bullpen. Um, and it's called hitting low in the zone, a new baseball paradigm. And it's a you know really short book, but the data is just is just overwhelming. I feel um, and. Um, and I, I think baseball is going to get get to that um, really soon because they can't stay on the path they're on just focusing on home runs, walks, and strikeouts. Awesome. Homer, thank you so much again. I think I speak for all of us here in the Zoom room that, uh, man, we'd love to hear and see you on Blue Jay Broadcast because you have so much to offer. I think you're you're a broadcaster in the making, and, and you should be doing yeah. it. You know, I tell you what, man, they gave me an opportunity on the radio. I really wasn't prepared, but like, I, I mean, this space is made for TV. Like, man, you're that's right. Of course. Yes. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, if it makes you feel any better, the Jays aren't even doing a radio broadcast anymore. So, <laughs> oh, wow. Sorry to hear yeah. that. Man. They're just simulcasting the TV. So, you know, I mean, you know, we'll have to get your face in there because we, I think the Blue Jay fans need to see a lot more Homer Bush. Yes. Hey, I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, Barrett. There is former Toronto Blue Jay Homer Bush. And a reminder, folks, that on our next program, former Blue Jay closer B.J. Ryan. And uh, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, Tom, I was a little intimidated going into that conversation just simply because when B.J. was a Toronto Blue Jay, he had a lot of, you know, we had a lot of injury issues. And it really kind of derailed what was looking to be you know, a really good career for him as a closer. And he wasn't always in the greatest moods with the media. So uh, a very nice surprise to, to see what a, a warm gentleman B.J. Ryan is. And, of course, once again, out of the park insiders involved. And how can they get involved? Because he, this is what happens now, Tom. We're going to randomly select 
one non-OTP insider to join us in these Zooms once in a while with the promise that if you really liked it and you want to do more, then you become an insider. And most recently, our last, our most recent insider came aboard just that way. Craig Ballard, thank you very much. Yeah, everybody that's tried us, Barry, has kept us. Exactly. So, yeah, no, it's, you know, you go to patreon.com slash out of the park. $3 a month, that's all it is. And again, there's still, well, there won't be time when this airs to get on with BJ Ryan. But there is some amazing stuff coming up and some amazing talks to get in on. $3, $5 a month, you can talk with us. Tell us how to do this show better. Tell us who, what you'd like to see, who you'd like to hear. I mean, you don't even have to be a member for that, but we'll listen to you a little bit more if you are. Exactly. Oh, also on next week's show, because Canada Day will have come and gone by next week's show, uh, a little review from the We Ain't Petty show, which, you know, unfortunately, you're not in We Ain't Petty. Nope. No, I'm just a fan. You're just a fan. I am just a fan. I have seen you guys four times. Last time I saw you was in Peterborough. Huge, huge uh, riverfront festival. That's There's right. Like thousands of people. God, I wish we still lived in that world. Maybe again one day soon. All right. Big thanks to Raj Sapaya. Also, thank you to Homer Bush. And Tom, I may look like Homer Simpson right now, which I really don't. But if you had seen me back in the 80s, I would say I looked a lot more like Marge Simpson. Yeah, you did too. Like looking at looking at pictures of you and your wife when you first got together, it's like like twins. All right, Tom. And, and usually, she is, looks great. This is usually where I insult you. Instead, I insult myself. And instead of you sticking up for me, you just nail it in a little bit deeper. Tom, I stuck you. up. I stuck up for your wife. Yes, you did. Uh, folks, thank you so much for continuing to listen and watch and make us a part of your week.